A mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! Your mind matters. So come on in and join us. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas from everyone at Mind Matters, especially Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty. Today, uh, we're going to discuss emotional intelligence with Dr. Josh Straub. Josh and his wife, Christy, have a new book out called Famous at Home. And uh, this is a good time and a good day to be famous at home. It's Christmas. Rita, introduce us. Welcome to Mind right. Matters, Josh Straub. Hey, thank you so much, Rita. What an honor to be with you today. Well, it's great to see you again. You're an uh, old and dear one from AACC days, and we're just really honored to have you. Um, I know you're super busy with all the exciting stuff you're doing, and we want to give you a chance to talk about that later. But, you know, let's just jump in and catch us up on your story and you know, your life and how you and Christy met and how long have you been married and all that good stuff? Oh man. Yeah. So we, um, we've been married for 12 years, uh, going on 13, which seems really, really crazy. Um, we've got a 10 year old an eight year old and a two year old, and there's a gap age gap there between eight and two for a reason. Cause our first, got, uh, first two were pretty, pretty difficult. We had some pretty rough years. It's kind of like God, you know, humbles you in the very thing he calls you to. So you don't pull your britches up too high and think you have it all together. But, um, so yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing great as a family, like just love the, the moments we have at a moment the other day where, you know, we've got, uh, you know, it's like, you have all these rooms in the house and yet our, our closet is like the smallest room in the entire house, I think. And, you know, we had our 10 year old or eight year old, the dog and our two year old all sitting in that closet because Christy and I were in there trying to get our, you know, clothes together. And, you know, we're trying to get ready for bed and whatever. And it, it literally everybody is you're, you're stepping over kids. And, and it was just a beautiful moment for us to go. This is, I took a step back and I was like, this is actually cool. Like everybody wants to be in the same little room. Like you have the entire house and we're all together. And so I think that right now in the season that we're in, and I pray that it stays that way is kind of the, it's, it's a, a real nice picture for where we're at as a family is we're just, it's just sweet. You know, the kids are at a sweet age and we're just enjoying them. So it's That's a lot of fun. So, cool. so today we're here to talk about your new book, Famous at Home. Tell us why you wrote it. Yeah. So, so Christy and I uh, started this organization uh, a number of years ago called Famous at Home. And one of the biggest things that we found was that uh, we had uh, as a crisis responder um, and uh, we both have counseling backgrounds, we would get a lot of phone calls, um, particularly from business leaders, ministry leaders, and the like, uh, people who had some type of moral or ethical failure of some kind. And it was calling and saying, hey, can you help us kind of pick up the pieces here? And it was one of those situations where I started to get to a place of going, man, the ripple effects of this is just so it, it it's devastating, whether it's on a congregation, whether it's in a business or whatever that looks like. And we started asking the question, like, what can we do to prevent this from happening? Instead of um, always being on the reactive side, how can we be on the proactive side of this? 
And what was fascinating for me was um, getting to a place where we started to look at, you know, what were what were some of the causes of this? And when you look at the research and then, uh, so, so I see it in the research, but I also see it anecdotally and I see it in the relationships that we've had through the years is that there usually was a, there was a shift. Uh, there was a chase at some point where we, we get our time, attention, and our identity pulled into the world. And we start to believe that, you know, our identity is tied to our job, to who we're becoming, to our social media, Instagram followers, to whatever that looks like. And we have this chase that leads us our time, our affections outside the home. And we start to seek fame outside the home. But the reality is, is that you're already famous inside your home. Like, and we use this phrase a lot, the greatest red carpet you'll ever walk is through your front door. You know, at the end of life, the thing, the thing that we're most um, paying attention to, or the thing that, that keeps us up at night, I think more than anything is, you know, a lack of relationship with our spouse or with our kids or that type of thing. And what we have found is that when you prioritize being famous at home, everything else just falls into place. And so we're big on, on proactively uh, helping leaders, helping families, helping people really be famous at home so that they can then thrive on the stage that God has called them to. Well, you're, I've been so revved up. Okay. I'm pitching a new book actually about this whole loneliness pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I, I, it's been tearing at my soul and I think you've just hit on a lot of this. Do you think there's a correlation in your mind and the research, because I'm looking at a lot of research um, that links like like a lot of these problems, the loneliness, the gender craze, trans stuff to kids feeling a sense of disconnect at home and the family? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Rita, I think it all comes down to relationships. I think it comes down to how are, are we you know, I'm trained in attachment. I'm trained in this area of attunement and and the way that I define attunement is, um, do I feel seen? Do people see me? And I think loneliness leads to this sense of I'm not being seen. You know, the Bible says, you know, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to truly step into the shoes of another human and love them well is a reflection of how well he loves us. And I think, you know, from, from the experience, when you go to therapy, the first thing a therapist is typically to asking you questions about is your relationship with your parents. You know, did you feel love? Did you feel seen? And so I think at the end of the day, our love tanks are really filled up by our ability to love other people. Our ability to step into the shoes of other people is a reflection of how well we receive that love. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we're big on helping families show up well for their kids. I mean, we, we're all about like, if you take our book, Famous at Home, we wrote that book because it was the, it is the play-by-play. Um, it is the playbook. It is our coaching playbook with families that we help families really be famous at home. So there's seven decisions to, to walking your family, to become, to put your family center stage. And one of the things that we uh, really talk about in there is the hub of the wheel is is your is emotional intelligence at the end of the day it comes down to how well are we able to identify what we're feeling why we're feeling that way and what another person in our own home is feeling and why they're feeling that way and enter into their world in that way so emotional intelligence is really the hub of the wheel of everything that we do and everything flows out of that our ability to be able to label our emotions and the reality is is we also have a culture that is telling us um to find our identity outside the home. And the reality is, is up until pre-industrial, um, up until the pre-industrial revolution, Western America, 
your identity, your worth, your I, everything was grounded in family throughout history, throughout all cultures. I mean, family was the center. The household was the center. And when industrial revolution happened, that's when we started sending fathers outside the home to go to go to work. And so work left the home. At that point, school started leaving the home. Church ended up leaving the home, whereas the home was the centralized place for everything. We had our identity in our home. Now our identity is everywhere. It's decentralized. It is fragmented. And so What's happened is, is it's put everybody in a bind, um, particularly women, because women are now caught between, do I want to raise children and do I want to have a career? And it's like, well, you, you know, now they feel like they can't choose either or they can't choose both. And, and they, women in a lot of ways are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place in this regard. And so what ends up happening is, is now everybody's individualized into a place where, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, Tra uh, travel sports and let's, you know, specialize our kids at age four and five into a, spe a specific sport. And the reality is, is what it does is it continues to fragment the family. Everybody's running ragged. And the greatest thing that we hear from families is there's the biggest parenting struggle is we don't have enough time uh, and we're too busy. And that further adds to increased anxiety in kids as that trickle down, as kids feel that trickle down effect. Oh yeah. I, I, I have a lot of anxious kids. Yeah, yeah, I have a question yeah. about this too, Josh. That's uh, the, great. Uh, you know, the church by and large uh, segregates families uh, as, as as an institution. There's, you know, there's a place for dad, there's a place for moms, grandpa, grandma, singles, youth, and kids. Um, how is that? Uh, how does that play into uh, emotional intelligence? Uh, yeah, great question. And and the church has the church has done that. I mean, the church has done the very same thing in regard to. And I'm I'm of the I'm a fan of putting my kids in environments where they're with kids other ages. And I mean, again, you have to be careful with that because obviously, with what kids are exposed to these days, um, you know, from TVs and and all that type of thing. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we are like, I, I love that my 10 year old son has a two year old son. Like it is beautiful to watch my 10 year old son and, you know, really, you know, enter into his world and see how the two year old does what he does and reflects and, and, and the leadership possibilities that are all there. And then even it's just awesome to watch them shape. And so we have, um, one of the things we have done is, you know, our church actually does, they do. Uh, I think it's like K through five together, right? Which I love that. And then they'll break up into small groups and things like that. But I think worshiping kids, worshiping together with other ages is just a powerful dynamic. And so again, I think emotional intelligence, how it relates to emotional intelligence, I would say really um, the emotional intelligence factor really comes down to the emotional intelligence of the leaders. How, how, how emotionally intelligent are the leaders? How well are they stepping into the shoes of the child? How well are they teaching the Bible in relation to emotional intelligence and, and, and seeing the hand that go hand in hand, which I don't know that the church historically has done very well uh, with that because typically the churches is either most churches that I've been a part of just don't want to, they deny suppress or repress emotion uh, because it can be, too sinful. And so we shouldn't allow our emotions to dictate our behaviors. And so let's just not talk about them at all. Whereas the reality is, is if you don't talk about them, Proverbs actually 1632 says, uh, patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. So, I mean, controlling your emotions is better than capturing a city. You can capture the city, you can get the job, you can, uh, rise up the corporate, you can get to the place, but if you can't control your emotions, you'll lose it. Uh, you know, it has more control over you than you have of it. If you can't, if you can't label and name it. So I think it has to do with the leadership of the church more than it does necessarily about the segregation. But I do think 
it is important to bring kids together into an environment where I'm just a huge fan of bringing church back into the home. Like I'm not necessarily meaning that we all need to start home churches, but what I am saying is putting more importance on the parents in discipling their kids as well. Yeah, amen yeah, to that's that. Uh, I, you know, I I want to say that. Uh, yeah, maybe that'll be your next book. Is the uh, the the emotional intelligent church? You know, so. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad idea, right? Well, Josh, talk a minute for those who are listening who don't really understand the central tenets of attachment, because I think we the kind of the emotional intelligence is going to flow out of that. I mean, if if a parent didn't learn to label their internal world, right? If they weren't right. seen, if they weren't you know, uh, you know, because I mean, we all come into the world asking those attachment questions. Am I loved? Am I valued? And are you attached, my attachment figure sufficiently near responsive and emotionally attuned to me? And so the people never learned how to do that. Do you kind of give tips to do that in the book? Like, yeah, yeah, no, great question. Yeah. And that, that actually is back on in, in another book that I wrote called safe house, how emotional safety is the key to raising kids who live, love and lead. Well, uh, that would be, I would talk a lot about that in that book in this book. Yeah. We're talking, I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest thing that we talk about, uh, in, and we talk about this a lot in famous at home is that, uh, I don't like the word parenting. I, I don't think that the word parenting is the right word as it relates to what we're doing with our children. Uh, at the end of, at, you know, when I'm 80 years old and I'm sitting on my rocking chair and I'm looking back and I have grandkids now, Lord willing, I'm what will have really mattered when it comes to raising my kids. And, and, and I have lived in the parenting research and I can tell you that you can pretty much sum up all of parenting research into one primary conclusion. And that's that our kids become who we are. So when I say that I don't think that word parenting is the right word, I think when it comes to what outcomes we desire in our kids, the word becoming is the right word. So our kids are becoming who we are. And so the biggest thing that I say to this, and there's a, uh, so, so to, I'll answer your question here in a second. I want to give a research study that I think will help highlight some of this. And we write about this in Famous at Home. Um, there was a researcher named Robert Epstein out of uh, Harvard University who wanted to find what were the top 10 parenting strategies to get the outcomes we most desire in our kids. So he did a meta analysis and a meta analysis is where you take a whole bunch of data and you combine it and you just find what were the um, overall outcomes of all this data combined. And what he found was that of the top 10 parenting strategies to get the outcomes we most desire in our kids, number one was love and affection. Number two was, and it, it speaks to what you're asking, Rita, Number two is a parent's ability to manage his or her own stress. Mm. Number three was how you treat your spouse or how you treat a co-parent in a divorce situation. So I would argue that of the top three parenting strategies to get the outcomes we most desire in our kids, none of them have to do with a direct relationship with our child. Because even love and affection, my ability to show up in a love and affectionate way with my child is a reflection of how well I receive love in my own life. And so- those top three have everything to do with who I'm becoming as an adult. And so we are huge on this whole idea of becoming. And I'm telling you, if you grew up in a home that you were not, uh, it wasn't safe. It wasn't secure for you. It wasn't, um, uh, you, you today are parenting out of a lot of that trauma, if you will, um, out of, out of parental fear of your children turning out a certain way. Um, I just want to encourage you 
that the the best way number one is that emotional intelligence is your brain is malleable uh, we grow in this and the best way to make that happen is in the context of other safe relationships that's where we are healed is in the context of safe relationships and so i don't think that therapy is for crazy people i think it's for broken people and i haven't met a single human on the planet myself included who's not broken in some way so I just want to encourage you, like my wife and I, we do therapy on a regular basis. We, I mean, we go to therapy on a regular basis. We have, we have coaches in our lives that we, that we have hired. We have spiritual directors. We have our pastors and we have mentors in our lives. We have marriage mentors. We have people that we surround ourselves with. And I just encourage you that one of the most significant things that you can do in your own parenting journey is to surround yourself with safe people that you can show up for or show up with in your overwhelm and your brokenness and just seek advice from people to help you learn how to react or how to respond in certain situations with your kids rather than reacting out of your parental fears. Right. I, I see people doing that all the time, especially with anger, you know, because parents yeah. on emotional overload that they just, they react, they explode. Yeah. And, and that's giving a message to your kid right there. Yeah. And that anger, there's something behind, as you said, there's something behind that anger, you know, and I think it's important that we take time to get to it. You know, as I said earlier, you know, uh, we surveyed uh, over 700 parents and found that the greatest parenting struggle is too busy and not enough time. Well, if you're too busy and you don't have enough time, that means you don't have enough time to even pay attention to how you're showing up. And a lot of this is just mindfulness. It's our ability to look at what, man, what just, just be curious. Like just to be curious, you know, curious curiosity about, isn't threatening. It's inviting. I yeah, it's inviting. Yeah. Just, yeah. just get curious about, man, what was it that made me so angry in that moment with my child? Or what was it that, that just had me so heightened in, in, in response to, to that situation? You know, you know, Christy in the early years of our parenting years, I remember her, uh, someone dropped a pan in the kitchen and she just was like, it was the moment for her. She calls it the hitting the bottom rung of life where her adrenals were just so shot. Her body was so, she was so, she was living out of a fight, flight or freeze fight and flight so much. Like it was as if, um, she went to a, a naturopath one time who did some testing on her adrenals and everything. They said, you wake up every morning as if you're ready to fight a bear. And that was in the early years of, of, of raising kids. And so I just want to encourage you if they are in that season, um, we talk about our story in the beginning of famous at home and talk about Christy shares her journey. I would encourage you to, to pick up the book and just, there, there's a lot of grace there. Like you, like Christy just starts talking about she's on the bottom rung and all she was paying attention to is how can she get to the next rung of the ladder in that season of life? And so we have a lot of grace for you. Uh, this is a journey and I just want you to encourage you that, um, ah, let me say this too, because I think this is incredibly important to say for, for those of you who feel like you're just messing up and you just feel like you're because parenting, by the way, I think is the most guilt ridden, shaming role on the planet. Like you don't have to be a parent for more than five seconds to, to realize that. And then you get all these parenting experts, you know, quote unquote experts, you know, spewing stuff at you. And you're just like, man, I just feel like a failure. Yeah. Um, we all do. John Gottman in his research on emotion coaching found that even if you get this emotional safety thing, this emotional coaching thing, right, just two out of five times, you can still get the outcomes you desire in your kids. And now listen, that's only 40% of the time. Mm. And, and that's encouraging to me because you are human. Uh, we're all human. You're going to yell. You're going to say things you regret. 
You might even spank out of anger. You're going to do things that you're going to be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And the reason that he says you only have to get it right two out of five times is, is because of a word called repair. And the research says that it is the ultimate of relationships. Okay. So what does a repair attempt look like? Let's yes. talk about that. Great question. Yeah. So, so great question. Um, the Bible calls it forgiveness and Jesus tells us to practice it a lot. And so what I would encourage is when you have yelled, you've said something you regret, um, you spoke in a certain tone of voice uh, that it was shaming on your child, um, apologize for that specific offense. Because what you're doing when you apologize is you, number one, are showing your kids that you're not perfect. Right. Number two, you're modeling, you're telling them that they're not perfect. And number three, you're modeling for them how to make it right when they're not. Yeah. And and you're I, modeling humility. Like, you're modeling I'm humility. I'm not always right. I'm not always perfect. And you don't have to be either. But the important thing is we're dialoguing about this. And that's huge. That's huge. It is. It is absolutely huge. In fact, our friend Jeannie Cunyon, one of the things that she has uh, encouraged us to do, and we've done it throughout the no last number of years. And I just, I find this so beautiful is... You know, if you're a Christian and you are you are following Jesus, you know, part of this whole idea is we've got to go to the cross with our sins. Right. And so there's times where I invite my kids where I have wronged them, where I invite them in the moment to say, hey, I need to pray and I need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Would you pray with me um, for so that I can seek his forgiveness for how I offended you and how I hurt you? And it is just a beautiful model for how we can um, humbly enter the throne of God with our children on behalf of ourselves and our own hearts and on behalf of our children. And I think those are just beautiful ways to be able to practically implement that in your home. So do you, are we talking just, you know, young kids in the book, or do you even address, you know, like older kids, you know, adult children at all, because some yeah. of these issues get really dicey. And I know I have a lot of people, um, especially with, say, the, you know, LGBTQ thing, people whose uh, adult children have all of a sudden been married and then get a divorce and come out, you know, right. identifying uh, as gay right. or bisexual or whatever. And right. parents are really struggling with that. Like a lot of people are just, okay, well, I'm not going to accept that you're not together. Welcome here. Like, or a person gets a divorce and, you know, parents don't believe in the divorce. And so they remarry and then, Hey, here's this person. I'm not going to accept you into my home. And it just causes a huge rift, you know, with the person's adult child. Yeah. Do you guys get into any of the adult stuff or not so much? Yeah. No. And and I mean, we don't get into in the book. We don't get into specific scenarios like right. that. But at the end of the day, what we do talk about is the whole idea of safety and winning your child's heart. So we talk a lot about in relation to early years and then also into the teenage years. And I mean, this stuff, this this emotional safety, this emotional intelligence stuff, it it carries on throughout your entire lives. I'm 43 years old. My mom is in her sixties and we just had a heart to heart conversation, mother to son over Thanksgiving that, that we wouldn't have had, you know, 30 years ago that we're able to have now because of how we've grown it, you know, with one another. And I think, you know, we don't always have to agree on lifestyles, but we can agree that we are going to pursue the heart of our children um, in the best way possible. And to me, I think from a gospel perspective, this is all about um, relationship. It's all about relationship. And so 
I'm just a huge fan of leading in grace and following up in truth. Um, truth without grace will always be received as condemnation. And for me, I would rather err on the side of pursuing my children's hearts and and keeping a, re- a strong relationship where my children feel deeply loved than stand on an issue that fractures my relationship with my kids. Amen. Because it all goes back to what you said earlier. The heart of it is all centered around love. How do I it's- love my child well? And I believe, I believe that when we get to heaven, um, well done, good and faithful servant isn't going to necessarily be about how we stood on issues. It's going to be more about how the effect that we had on people. What, what did we, what, how did we relationally love them? Jesus is love. God is love. And I just, I am a big fan of just going, you know what? I'm going to love well. And it doesn't mean I have to agree with your lifestyle and what, and, and the way that you're living your life and the decisions you're making, that type of thing. But I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to love and support you because the reality is this over time, what ends up happening in a culture and, and St. Benedict was a great example of this. So you go back, you look at St. Benedict and you look at the Benedictine practices, St. Benedict pulled himself out and started the Benedictine way of life. And if you study the Catholic faith and that type of thing, you'll see he did that as a way to pull himself out of the Roman empire and the fall of Rome and what was going on in, in the lifestyle. It, it's very similar. You kind of look at what's going on today and it's kind of a similar thing. I mean, because at the end of the day, when a when a nation crumbles, who are people running to? They're running to the people who were safe. They're running to the people who were relationally safe for them and love them. And and so, I mean, to me, that's what the church is to be. We're to sure. be. I mean, that's where Jesus was at. He was with the tax collectors. He was with the and and the people that he fought the most with were, were the Pharisees, the people who said, you know. Uh, you know, they were just, that's who we fought with the most was the Pharisees. And, and at the yeah, end of the and day, that's a central tenant of attachment theory, secure, base, yeah. safe, haven. and that really comes into play in times of stress and duress, who, yeah. what am I doing in times of stress or duress? I'm seeking proximity or closeness to my to attachment. Those who are safe. That's exactly right. And that, that to me, that's why the church has to be safe right. and we, we have to be safe. And, um, I just, I want to love people. Well, uh, we've all, we're all on our own journeys and I have, trust me, I've been on my journey, you know? And, and so for me to judge where somebody else is on their journey without loving them, I think has more to do with me than it does that other person. Yeah. You're listening to mind matters with counselor and author Rita Schulte. We're speaking with Dr. Josh Straub and, uh, we're just about out of time right now. And, uh, Josh is going to, uh, stick around and we'll do a, a second show and that'll uh, air next week. Uh, how can people get in touch, Josh? Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. Uh, famous at home.com, uh, is where you can find us. And we're just, uh, we love journeying with family. So everything that we do, you can find at famous at home.com. Awesome. So books too, all of that's on your website. Yeah. Yep. Everything is there. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. We are so enjoying this. So we're going to pick up next week and keep going. All right. Thank you so much, Rita. Well, thank you everybody for taking some time today at Christmas Day and uh, listening to this great conversation. Uh, I hope you were rewarded with it. I hope that was a good present for you to open up under the tree. Famous at home. Well, this is our very last show of the first year of Mind Matters. We want to thank you all for listening. 
Also, uh, if you want to get in touch, and we hope you do, go to RitaSchulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E.com. I'm Richard Beatty. Have a very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we will see you on New Year's Day. More with Josh Straub.